Welcome to Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations, HispanicNPR.com. This is Elena DelVal, and my guest is John Oshel, who is CEO of SwiftPage. Today we will discuss what to look for in a CRM for your small business. John joined SwiftPage in July of 2012, arriving with a 30-year track record. Prior to joining SwiftPage, he served as the Executive Vice President of Strategy and Product for Digital Globe. Prior to Digital Globe, John was the Senior Vice President of Technology and Content, as well as Chief Information Officer for IHS, Inc. Before that, he was the Chief Information Officer and Vice President of Information Management Worldwide, for Orthoclinical Diagnostics at Johnson & Johnson Company, where he was responsible for all technology and e-business. John is an advocate for technology and education in Colorado and has been an active contributor and served as 2007 Chairman of the Colorado Technology Association, CTA. John supports Open World Learning, an organization which uses the power of technology and peer teaching to develop leadership and ignite a love of learning among children. He also supports Kids Tech, an organization dedicated to making technology accessible to youth. John, welcome. Thank you, Elena. Thanks for having me. Let's start with something really simple. What do we mean when we say CRM? What do those letters stand for? So CRM stands for Customer Relationship Management, and it's a, it's a technology as well as a philosophy of how businesses really get an understanding, a deep, intimate understanding of their customers and how they can continue to serve those customers and how they can continue to grow those customers. Who would use that in a company setting? You know, it, it depends on the size of the company. Uh, if, it's a, if it's a small company, when I say small, and if it's like one to ten employees or whatever, you may have the entire company using that. Um, if you get into a, a much larger company, you may have only customer-facing type uh, of, uh, of individuals like marketing or sales or customer service, uh, et cetera. But it is uh, a foundational piece of technology that uh, cuts across the entire organization. Is it more important for small businesses, and if so, why? You know, it, it is. And, and the way that I look at small businesses, it's funny. You know, at, at SwiftPage, we, we focus on the, on the SMB market, the small business market. Um, and, you know, everybody always says, well, the, the SMB and the small businesses are so unique. And I say, absolutely, they are unique. They're, they're unique in the sense that they need exactly what large companies need, except that they just don't have the resources and the time and sometimes the people and the money to be able to implement all, all of, the, of the tools that the enterprise and the large companies have. So um, the answer to your question is absolutely. When, you look, when a small business is really committed to saying, I'm going to grow my business, the best way to grow their business is to truly, truly understand their customers and even their prospects of people that are looking at their, at their company or their products or their services. What is the bridge between the software and this understanding? Can you do this using old-fashioned methods? Yeah, you know, it, it's funny. Most people, um, and again, I'm sorry, 
startup companies, small companies, et cetera, a lot of people will start by, you know, using manual systems. When I say manual, these days it's not really pen and paper anymore, but, you know, they'll use things like Excel spreadsheets, or they may use Gmail contacts, or they may use Outlook contacts or something to try and capture their customers and, you know, just have them all in, in, a, in a place, et cetera. That is okay when you get started, but as you really start maturing and you're saying, I really need to understand my, my customers and where they're going and how I can service them and what types of interactions I'm having with them, I think you need to start you know, looking at something a little bit more sophisticated to, you know, to really run your business. How do you know when you're at that stage? If you're a small business and you're just getting started, or maybe you're not so small and you've been around for a while, but you've just been doing it yourself. How do you know at what point you need the help of these tools? Yeah, so this is a great question, Elena. And this is, I, I talk a lot to small businesses and, and, and various seminars, and I meet, obviously, with tons of small businesses. I always tell everybody that you need to understand what I call the four C's of customer information. And the four C's uh, are very, very simple. It, it's uh, currency, correctness, consistency, and completeness. And if you're a business and you're, and you're kind of really starting to say, you know, am, am, I, am I mature enough to really move to the next level with tools, um, you look at the four C's and you say, okay, is my customer information current? Because if it's current, great. If it's not current, it's not going to be correct. So the first two C's go, go together. If I don't have the current information, the correct information, the ability to interact with my customers is going to be very, very, very limited. Um, the next C is really around what we call consistency. Now, you're probably going to have information about your customers in various places as a, as a small business. It could be, like I said, in Outlook, or it could be in an Excel file, or it could be in another technology tool that, that you're using to, to run your business, etc. If that information is not consistent across all the spots where it is stored, then guess what? It's not going to be current. It's not going to be correct. So those three come, you know, in a full circle. Then once you have that consistency, then you look for completeness. Now, most people say, well, completeness is I've got their name, their address, their phone number, their email address, you know, et cetera. And that's all really, really valuable information and, and, and necessary. But when we talk about completeness, it's do you have the ability to capture every single interaction that you've had with your customer, your prospect, or your lead? That's completeness. And once you have those four C's, you have the foundation to grow. So to, to really take a look at how do I know if I'm ready for a CRM, ask yourself about the four C's and go through that, that uh, what, what we just talked about. And if you can look at that and say, you know what, I don't have the four C's, I need the four C's, it's time for you to get a CRM. Those four C's seem like they might be open to interpretation. What if you have data that is mostly current and mostly correct? Because as we know, customer data is constantly changing. People come and go. They get promoted. More people are added to the team, et cetera. Where's the dividing line? If your data is 80% current, if your data is 70% complete? Yeah, I would say that if you look at the first three C's of currency, correctness, and consistency, 
if you're not at 100%, you're at risk. Uh, completeness, you, you, you can be 70% complete or 80% complete or, or, or whatever and continue to drive to get more and more completeness. But if, if you say, well, you know, my current, my, my uh, information around my customer is about 70% correct or current, and you're just like, okay, you're at risk of something's going, going to go wrong with, uh, with, with your customers. So, you know, I don't think you can, you know, the line is drawn at the first three C's, got to have 100% uh, in, in that sense to, to really poise yourself for growth. What does the CRM do that takes you from challenging to a better place that you can't do on your own? You know, I look at CRM as really the, the center of the universe of what I call conversion and retention. So if you think about a small business, we look at that and we say, you know, a small business needs four digital pillars in order to grow. We call them presence, traffic, conversion, retention, and optimization tools. So everybody knows what presence is, right? That's web, websites, that's Facebook pages, you know, LinkedIn, etc. And then traffic drives traffic to that presence, which creates leads. Conversion and retention is converting those leads to customers, retaining those customers, and growing those customers. And then optimization tools are things like financial software, HR software, payment systems, etc. So as a small business, you need to look across those four digital pillars. Now, I think the most important one is that is conversion and retention, right? Because that's where your growth is going to come in around your around your customers. So, um, you know, when you look at a CRM, CRM is the center of the universe of conversion and retention. And what that enables you to do is have one authoritative source for all of your information about your customers, including every single interaction that you have. So any interaction you have around your presence pillar, any interaction you have around traffic or optimization tools, et cetera, that information should be moved into your CRM. So one of the things that uh, a lot of small business ask me is like, well, what, if I'm looking for a CRM, what should I be looking for? Number one is you should be looking for an open CRM that can connect across those other pillars and has the ability to move information into so that when you do use all these other tools that are out there, and quite frankly, Elena, there are so many tools that are out there, and there's great technology, and, and it's pretty darn cheap. So, so small businesses are probably using five, six, seven different pieces of technology as they're running their business and interacting, and et cetera. So you have to have the ability to have those other tools to connect back into your CRM so that you have one authoritative source, one center of the universe that captures every single interaction that you're having with your customer. That gives you the ability to then um, to go in, understand, and then make the next steps in, in, in growth. Now, the other thing that you need to do as a small business, you're probably not going to have a data analyst or a data scientist or, or have the ability to you know, implement big data, et cetera. So when you're looking at a CRM, you need to look at a CRM that's going to work for you as opposed to you work for the CRM. Now, what does that mean? That means that, you know, you shouldn't have to go in and say, okay, all this information is in there. How do I pull it out? How do, how do I make sense about it? And then how do I make a decision and, 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 and you know, a next step recommendation? You should be looking for a CRM that has the ability to take all that information analyze that, and then present it back to you in the form of insights that say, hey, 
you know, based upon all this information, I'm seeing X, Y, and Z, and you as a small business person should be doing the next, these next three steps. If you do that, the ability for you to grow is going to be much greater than if you don't do that. So that's really, you know, the, the beauty of, of taking a look at, at something like a, like a CRM. How do you ensure that those tools that you're referring to are compatible? Yeah, so you know that that's the that's the great question because there is so much marketing hype out there in, in the industry. Everybody says, "Oh, we're open. We got you know this or whatever." So the number one thing you need to take a look at is you know everybody's going to say this is an, an open platform. So, but you really need to take a look and say you know when you when somebody says is it open, what does that mean? Does it really mean that you can connect to it, or more importantly, can you get information out of it? So. Um, that's the number one key that you need to do. There are things that you know, people will throw around terms like API or application program or interface type of thing. It has to have an open API. I would say that you really need to, as, as you're looking at these tools, is take a look, particularly a CRM, say, show me. Show me how, if I've got a CRM, that I can connect these other five tools that I'm working for. And oh, by the way, I don't need a PhD in computer science to be able to do that. And if, he, if it, and, and if they can show you that, and even if it's shown digitally, it doesn't have to be somebody like showing you physically or whatever, but if you can do that and do it easily, then you know you've got an open CRM and you've got an open platform that you can connect other tools uh, to. So that's, um, that, that is number one thing that when you're looking for a CRM, make sure you do your homework on, on that piece. How much should you be spending on these tools as an aggregate? So there's several tools that should be interacting, that should be open and hopefully working in sync without too many glitches. What kind of a budget should you be looking at, say, as part of your marketing budget? I'm assuming this is what it falls under. You know, it can be under your marketing budget. It could be under your sales budget. Uh, it could be under your technology budget. You know, it, it really it takes a look. Now, how much money you should be spending, that's an interesting question, and it really depends on the size of, of your business. If you're, if you are looking to have, you know, anywhere from one to five people uh, utilizing a CRM system and, and other tools, you're probably going to look to spend, you know, anywhere – like 150 to 200 dollars a month uh, for uh, for to interact with uh, with that software. Could be a little bit more if you want to get into you know heavier marketing automation, which you put on top of that. Well, you're probably going to add another couple hundred uh, dollars on that. So if you look at it on a yearly basis, you're probably looking anywhere from you know two to three thousand, maybe up to up to five thousand. Uh, depending on, on where to, uh, what size business and how many people you need interacting with the software per year. Would it be useful to look at the budget that you assign to this in relation to the size of your needs as a percentage rather than in just 150 to 200 a month or 2000 to 5000 a year because different companies have different revenue models and income streams would a percentage make sense or is this the optimum way I think it's the optimum way percentages are always kind of difficult right a lot of people say like oh you should be you know spending 15% of your revenue on on technology or or, or something along those lines and 
And it's really kind of different because if you're in a growth phase and you want to spend a little bit more on technology to actually grow, then the percentages, you know, kind of get get a little bit out of whack. What I would say is that instead of looking at percentages, look at the number of people you need to interact with that software, with the technologies or with the platforms. And I would look at it in that sense and say, like, you know, kind of look at anywhere from um, – uh, 150 to $200 per person per month, um, you know, type of thing and start budgeting that way. If you're in a higher growth, you might want to, and you want more like marketing automation or, or more sophisticated tools, you might put a little bit more on top of that. But I think if you look at it per person, per interaction, uh, or, or person that's interacting with the software, it's a little bit easier than, than a percentage. How safe is this technology these days? There's so much concern about hacking and online safety and customer data. What can you tell us about the safety of these tools? Yeah, you know, I'd say you know, the majority of the tools in the industry uh, right now are just, you know, very, very, very safe. They're very sophisticated tools, even though they're they're working with uh, with the SMB market. I would say be careful, right? And so you might get enticed by looking at, oh, this is a really, you know, you're, you're online, you see a tool, it's really, really cheap, and you're like, oh man, this is really good. Be careful, right? Because if you if it's a, if it's really good and it's really cheap and not a whole lot of people are using it, then it's probably not tried and true and tested. <laughs> so you know, make sure you really understand. Do your homework. Um, ask that specific question. Either uh, you know, if you're talking to somebody at the company, or if 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 people don't have that on their website that tell you how secure this is, then you need to send up a uh, you know a yellow flag and say you know is this really going to be uh, you know good for me and for my company? Because you're talking about you know important important information, critical information. This is information about your customers. Uh, and every single interaction you have with your customers. So you need to make sure that you feel very, very comfortable and that the software that you're using makes you feel comfortable that it's safe. What types of measures should you be looking for as you're shopping for the ideal tools? What specific types of protections and tools, firewalls, what should you be looking for to reassure you? Yeah, so, you know, one of the beautiful things about, you know, uh, online and SaaS software is that you don't have to, and you shouldn't have to worry about, you know, what kind of, you know, uh, do I need to get a firewall, do I need to get this, you know, et cetera. Really, that should be pushed back on the publisher or on, on the vendor. And what you're really trying to look for are, do they have any types of compliances? Are they SOC 2 compliant, which means that they're, you know, they've gone through uh, various uh, security testing of the, of they got, you know, ISO uh, compliance, uh, et cetera, security things. So if, if they have those types of certifications, then you know that they, uh, they've been tried and true and tested and that, that, that they're uh, very, very safe. Um, you know, very few publishers are going to publish on, on their site, you know, hey, we're, uh, we're in this, uh, you know, we use this firewall, we use this, you know, et cetera. Um, that's a little bit more detailed that people want to put out uh, on on, uh, on their website. But, you know, the other thing you can ask them is, you know, where do they host? Do they host it themselves? Do they host it in, uh, in uh, AWS? Do they host it in Google? Do they host it in uh, Azure? Um, you know, when you get into some of these much larger uh, players and they're being hosted there, then you know that they have 
an enormous amount of security built uh, built into that. So that's infrastructure security. Then you need to take a look at specifically inside the application. Is there security inside the application? Can you know? Can um, somebody else uh, use my database? Uh, you know, quite frankly, you know, because all your information is there. Is this, is my data secure, and how is it secured specifically for me in, inside the application? Um, you're going to look for different levels of, uh, is there an administrator that sets the security policies and then, and then allows those security policies to be implemented out to each other users uh, within, your, within your company, um, et cetera. So those are you know, some of the basic things that if, if you take a look at, um, you should be okay. But be careful, again, you know, of, of this lots of tons and tons of small startups that are getting up there and getting running. They've got great technology. There's, you know, there's nothing wrong with these companies, but make sure that they've also invested in, in creating a very secure infrastructure for you to run in. Well, these days, size alone doesn't seem to be enough because there's a long list of very large companies that we would assume had very good IT security, and yet they have been hacked, including the government, repeatedly. So we need to look beyond the obvious, and we need to go beyond assuming that if it's a large company, it's okay. If you would tell us a little bit more about these certifications and uh, what is ISO compliance. Yeah, so ISO compliance has is, is been around for a, a long time. Uh, you know, a lot of manufacturing companies um, will will uh, have, you know, various types of ISO certification to make sure that their manufacturing processes, their security processes, their IT processes, et cetera, it's a very, very well-known um, uh, uh, kind of a, of a certification. And what you do is you, you, uh, you, you set up, uh, you contact ISO and you say, hey, I need to become ISO 9000 or ISO 2010 or, or whatever compliant uh, for these reasons. Then they uh, will come. Then you have a, a whole series of, uh, of questionnaires that you have to fill out. Then they come based on the answer to your questions. Then they'll come in and uh, and actually assess your um, your processes, your infrastructure, your your security policies, uh, etc. They'll test against that. And if you pass that, then you're, um, you know, you are compliant. So something like a, uh, that's ISO. So a SOC 2 is more geared towards uh, kind of the financial industry. Um, very, very similar, right? So you request to be certified. You have to do the same thing. They come in, they test, they make sure. And SOC 2 is very, very security uh, uh, focused as well. Um, so you can, you know, you can, um, you know, get that certification as well. So there's a, there's a bunch of different things. Um, People who are in various industries, uh, vendors that supply to various industries, should have those certifications. And so if you're a small business in one of those, uh, then you need to take a look and make sure that, you know, they've got uh, certification that, um, you know, makes you feel comfortable that they're secure. And when we say ISO, we're talking about the International Organization for Standardization in Switzerland. Correct. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Correct, yeah. yeah and absolutely. this is a voluntary organizations so people follow these standards out of choice not because it's required by law correct correct now there's another um, a massive uh, thing that just came out it's uh, GDPR it came out of uh, Europe and, and the UK um, and so uh, if, if you're doing international business 
you need to make sure that you're GDPR compliant, right? So that really means that um, the ability to ensure that your customer information is secure and that people don't have access to, uh, other people don't have access to your customer information. Uh, and if you're a European customer, your, your information is being, is stay, is stays in Europe and it doesn't come back to the United States and, or, or various things like that. So there's a lot of stuff that you, you should be, uh, focused on. My suggestion would be as you're looking at, at these types of, uh, of, of, uh, softwares and platforms or whatever, Ask the questions, and, and if it's a digital-only uh, kind of interaction, there's a way to ask it. ask these questions of saying, you know, are you secure? Are you certified? What types of certification do you have? Um, if I'm doing business internationally, is my customer information secured in the borders in the country that I'm that I'm doing business in? Uh, those are very very uh, important points that you should be looking at as you're looking uh, for for different types of technologies. And when you say GDPR, you're referring to the general data protection regulations that specifically affect European residents. Is that correct? Correct, correct. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm more of an acronym guy. And this GDPR, which is new and many people are still adapting to and understanding how it's going to be enforced, is also very important because fines are attached if you violate the GDPR regulations. Is that right? Absolutely, yeah. It just it really came into effect in May of 2018, um, and so that you know it is very very new, uh, and uh, and yes, you know. So again, if if when you're looking at a suppliers uh, of of software, or publishers of software, where in, and you're doing business internationally, if they don't even mention GDPR, or if they don't even have on their site, hey, this is how you can be GDPR compliant. This is how we're GDPR compliant then you need to say, like, oh, that's, a red, that's a kind of a yellow flag here. I'm not sure that this may be the, the software for me. What kinds of expectations should you have, going back to the CRM tools, what kinds of expectations should you have? What kind of a learning curve is involved? So I think you, as you're looking at your business, um, you, you can kind of segment your, yourself into three different buckets, if you would. And one bucket you would be you need uh, CRM technology, CRM functionality. So when you say what does that mean, think of it as three very specific things. You need the ability to manage your customers, so all, all the information around there, so customer management, you need to be able to automate your sales processes. What that means is that you should be able to capture opportunities, know what's in your pipeline, move things around within your pipeline, um, et cetera, create different activities, assign different things uh, through, through your sales pipeline. That's kind of the sales automation aspect. And then the third piece is marketing automation, right? How do I make sure that I can do marketing to both my customers, my leads, and my prospects, and it's not just email marketing, it's all types of marketing, it's content marketing, it's social marketing, it's uh, making sure that uh, you're capturing things coming off of your off of websites, creating landing pages, um, you know, et, et cetera. So those are the, the three really key aspects of uh, of, of CRM uh, that, 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 that you should be looking for as, as you're going forward. What amount of time should you be dedicating, especially when you first adopt these tools, 
how much time will it take you to learn how to work them and to reach a good efficiency level? So, you know, that's, you have to be committed. And this is probably one of the biggest mistakes companies make. Um, you know, they think like, hey, I'm going to create, uh, you know, th- th- I'm going to use this software and I should be able to get up and running in, in, in five minutes. And, and again, there, there are aspects of, of your business where you should be. So, you know, kind of getting back to the last, the last piece when you look at all those functionality, if you need all that functionality um, in your business right away, well, then you're going to need to make sure you commit to at least you know, 30 to 45 days of really focusing on getting up and running in your business. Now, you can be productive within 24 hours, um, you know, with, with a new CRM system, but then you really need to say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to commit to spending the next 30 days to make sure all of my information is, is in there. I'm connected to my, uh, to my other uh, tools that, that I'm using. I'm getting uh, up to speed on the various bits of functionality. I'm using the functionality, uh, et cetera. So it's an investment uh, that, that you need to put in. If you, if you don't invest time and commit to actually using the software, then the software is just going to sit there and it's not going to add you any value. If you really commit to doing that, I will tell you that after the first, you know, a uh, couple of months, you're going to be saying, why didn't I do this earlier? And, you know, I'm hooked for life. Uh, I will never go back and, and not use uh, CRM software. So that's, you know, from that standpoint. Now, if you're a small business and you only need bits and pieces of functionality, I need a little sales automation, maybe I need a little bit of marketing automation, you know, that you can actually I mean, bang, you know, be, be online and, you know, be productive within, uh, you know, 24 hours and, and you're you're off and running, uh, you know, uh, type of thing. But if you're really going for the full blown CRM functionality, you're going to be up and running in 24 hours. But you're going to you're going to really need to commit uh, over the next 30 to 45 days to uh, you know to put the work in to make it work for you. Is this a useful tool across the board? Are there businesses that are better suited to CRM tools than others? Are there businesses for whom CRM is not a fit? You know, that's a really good question, Elena. And you know, from, from our standpoint, as we look at it, it, it uh, we see CRM as just a, a, a horizontal play. I, I don't know that there's any business that if you talk to them says, I don't need, any, I don't need to know anything about my customers, right? So if, if you're in a business that you don't need to know anything about your customers, Please let me know because I have never run across one. But you know, so the answer is, I, I think there's it's it's uh, it's for every single company. Now, you don't you may not need all you know the, all of the functionality, all the CRM functionality for for uh, certain businesses, depending on size, depending on complexity that you have, etc. But you know, having information and knowing more about your customers and capturing the interaction about your customers. I don't know that there's a business out there that doesn't need that. Are there companies that are best suited, companies that you see take maximum advantage, either because they're more technology-oriented or because their sales and marketing efforts are better suited to these methodologies? You know, I don't know. Um, I'll, I'll specifically talk about SwiftPage and how we look at the at the, uh, at the industry on this. And and what we found uh, for for our uh, our technologies 
we found that there's um, uh, a group of verticals, and we call them FIRES, and it's F-I-R-E-S. And the F stands for financial uh, folks. Now, when we talk about financial, it's not like banks and, and stuff like that, but I'm sure banks, you know, absolutely need CRM. We're really talking about wealth management inside of the financial industry. So it's a very micro vertical, if you would. Um, and if you think about that, a wealth manager really drives a book of business, right? So they have a series of clients uh, or customers that they need to get very, very specific and intimate with. And CRM is, is a super, super fit for, uh, for, for that uh, um, vertical. Then the I stands for insurance brokers. And if you think about insurance brokers, it's very similar to wealth managers, right? They have a series of, of people uh, or customers or clients or whatever that they have a book of business that they're continuously managing and growing, et cetera. And that seems to fit very, very well. RE stands for real estate. And if you think about real estate brokers, very, very similar. Uh, and then S stands for services. Now, services is a very, very broad uh, type of, of category, but you could say anything from, you know, on the small end, it could be landscapers, it could be salon owners, it could be, you know, sh uh, small shop owners that, that provide, uh, you know, florist services, et cetera. So, you know, it, you know, as we look at it, we, we kind of tend to take a look at that. Um, but then, you know, it kind of breaks down a little bit more because we also have a very, very large set of manufacturing companies that, uh, that use uh, CRM as well. So, you know, I, I think if, 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 you, if you have a business that uh, in order to grow, you need to have a good, solid understanding of your customers, the interactions that you've had with your customers, what their needs are, then CRM is, is going to be for you. When we talk about financial, insurance, services, accountants, lawyers, all of these folks, some of the thoughts to come to mind are privacy issues. What privacy issues do you need to deal with and how? Yeah, so, uh, I, I, you know, it, it, it's very, very interesting. Um, you know, it always gets back to you have to make sure that your customer data is secure. And if the, if the tools that, you, that you're using um, can't prove to you that uh, your, your customer data is, is secure, then uh, you, you cannot use it. Don't use it. You will get yourself in trouble as a company. Um, and so that's really very, very, very specific. And, and I can't stress this enough, Elena, that, um, you know, the, 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 uh, the ability to have um, your information secure, your information, uh, you know, in a, in a position that only you have access to it, um, if, you, if you can't feel comfortable with that, don't move forward with, uh, with the technology. Even if the information is secure, are there certain kinds of data that you need to obtain permission for before you share them with outside parties through a website or before you store them on third-party websites? What can you tell us yeah. about that? Yeah, so there's, that's a really good, uh, another good avenue that, uh, that we can go down to. So as, particularly as you get into... You know, now you have all this great information and you, uh, inside of your CRM. You want to start using it to interact with your customers. You want to start marketing uh, uh, to, to them, uh, et cetera. So there's an, an enormous amount of um, 
of work that is being done by the vendors to ensure that uh, you can market to your customers and to your uh, to your prospects and your leads with uh, without getting what's called blacklisted, right? So if you if you're if if, if you're continuously pushing information out and sending emails out or sending all the marketing pieces, and you get caught uh, into you know spam and, and people look like you know you're you're getting uh, you're, uh, you're, you're spamming more than, you, than you're interacting with the customers, then you will not be able to interact with anybody, uh, and, and that will be very interesting. Now, what are some of the things that will, will happen, right? If, you, if you're sending out uh, large campaigns and majority of those campaigns are bouncing back, which means that it's, it's you, have, you don't have that currency and correct information, uh, particularly around emails or, 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 or other aspects of it. If you have a large bounce rate, you're going to be flagged as somebody that's probably going out and buying up all kinds of uh, data lists, et cetera, and then you're going to become a high risk, and then people from a deliverability standpoint are not going to allow you to use their services to send out, uh, send out emails. So, you know, the, the number one thing is we get gets all the way back to full circles of, you know, the four C's, um, you have to make sure your information is current, uh, correct, uh, it's consistent, um, it's complete, and that you know you're not just going out and buying bad lists uh, from from people of information that people don't want to get marketed to. That's a whole lot. Of, you know, people have to opt in too. You have to give them the ability to say, "Hey, listen, if you don't want this information anymore." You know, click here and you can unsubscribe. If you don't have the ability to do that, that's not good uh, either. So there's there's a lot. Now there's a lot that you, you that you need to uh, kind of understand. People are probably sitting there saying, "Oh my God, how am I going to remember all this?" You don't need to remember that if you provide if you work with a really really good uh, supplier of, of software. If you're if you're working with uh, a good CRM system, a good marketing automation system, they will provide all of this information. For you, and will help you to uh, to kind of get what's called warmed up uh, inside of uh, of the uh, of the servers, and uh, and that will allow you to to be a very good uh, a marketer. If you try and do it on your own, or if you try and use a, a smaller systems or whatever, more than likely you're you're probably going to get uh, at some point in time yourself caught up in this. The other thing I would say is be careful, be careful, be careful about buying lists. People will do that a lot. They'll go out and buy, you, you see them all the time, they're like, hey, here's a list of every single, you know, doctor in the United States, you know, for buy it here for $25,000. And people will buy that, but the problem is, is if that's not a clean list and if that's not current and correct, then your bounce rate's gonna be high and then you're gonna get uh, yourself in a lot of trouble. So be very, very careful about how you get information around leads, prospects, et cetera. Uh, and make sure you're dealing with a with a with a reputable uh, vendor that knows what they're doing as far as sending sending out emails and and doing marketing campaigns. How do you know if your CRM tools are working? What measurement tools can you use to test a the tools themselves and b your knowledge and use of the tools to their maximum capacity? So it, in my mind, it's a very, very simple measurement. If you implement CRM and you see your business growing, it's working. 
All right, so in, and when you say growing, it's growing in a couple of different ways. Obviously, you want to grow revenue. Everybody wants to grow revenue, so your revenue is growing. But your customer base is growing. The number of leads that you're, you're getting uh, and converting those leads to customers is growing. Um, you know, we've, we've seen uh, folks uh, go anywhere from, you know, a uh, 10 to 20% growth rate to a 30 to 40% growth rate, depending on how much they use uh, use the CRM. So it's really about the fact that if you're committed to growth, then CRM is the right uh, aspect to, to do. The other, the other uh, measurement, so that growth is one as aspect or measurement. The second measurement that you would look at is retention. If you're retaining your customers, um, your, your retention rate, if that's, you know, staying the same or getting better, um, then your tools are, are working, uh, your CRM tools uh, are working there. So, you know, those are kind of the high levels. You can get all the way down to, um, you know, how many marketing leads do I get, how many leads are, are, am I converting to opportunities, how many opportunities am I winning, uh, you know, so there's some very detailed uh, type of, uh, of uh, measurements that you can look at as well. John, you said you should look at a, say, 30 to 40% growth rate. Is this monthly? Is this annually? Is it the same across all industries? No, it's not the same. Um, you know, so there, there are going to be uh, some companies that are going to grow like uh, 30%. There's going to be some companies that are going to grow 5%, and they're going to be, like, very, very happy about growing 5%. So I think the real key is, is that uh, are you seeing a revenue growth are you seeing a customer growth, and are you seeing a customer retention uh, growth? If you see those three things, then you know your tools uh, are, are working. What about market specifics and company specifics? So we know that there are many variations depending on the business that you're in, depending on the part of the country that you're in, your customers dealing with, say, for example, I don't know, selling carpet sales versus selling bond to get out of jail versus products and so forth. What can you tell us about those specifics and including diverse markets? Yeah, so, uh, you know, the specifics on the markets, again, is I would, I would take a look at, um, you know, the market that you're in and you're saying, you know, you know, can I benefit from knowing my customers more intimately and understanding all the interactions that I, that I've had with those, with those customers? Can I benefit from, um, using these tools to get more customers, uh, et cetera, converting leads to, to, to customers, et cetera. So I think, you know, from, from that standpoint, I think you have to look at your industry and, 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 and determine how, how you're going to do that. Now, um, and it could be different, you know, it could be in certain industries you're going to say, listen, if I get, um, uh, you know, a 10% increase in my customers over the, over the next year, that's fantastic. If I get, uh, you know, and other industries will say, you know, I want to get 50% growth in my customers uh, over the next year. So it will be dependent upon uh, upon the industry and, and how much you, you know, how many total available uh, customers you have to, to, to go after. So that's, you know, that's kind of how I would I would look at it as uh, as as you're taking a look at these uh, at these tools. Uh, 
and, and the only other thing I would say on that, Elena, is that um, from a diversity standpoint, and this is important, right? So there's a lot of, of, of vendors that are out there that will say, hey, you know what? We we uh, we have different languages. We we uh, cater to different uh, types of uh, of uh, ethnic backgrounds, you know, etc. And I think that if if you have a a, a a vendor or supplier that you know says don't worry about it, just use use it in in English or whatever, it'll be fine. You know, it may not be the right kind of software uh, for you. I think that the vendors and, uh, and publishers that take the time and effort to understand the different uh, cultural aspects of not only within the United States but outside of the United States and different countries um, and really understand it's not just about translating the software to, to a language, but it's actually, you know, what I would say is customizing the software to fit the culture. And if you look and see that the, that there's a you know a, a partner or a vendor that's been out there that's been doing that, then that's probably the one that that you really want to get to then versus somebody that just uh, you know says you know I only have one language, just use it as is. Most of our listeners are in the U.S., so we're looking at a mostly English dominant Hispanic audience, or in some cases a Spanish-dominant or bilingual audience. Are there any insights regarding CRM and the software tools that you can share with us regarding those market segments? Yeah, you know, and, and I would take a look, and I would, I would actually say that in the, um, you know, the Hispanic market and the Spanish-speaking uh, uh, market in the United States, from a software uh, perspective, I think has been um, very under-tapped, uh, uh, quite, quite frankly, or underserved is probably the right way to, uh, to to put it. I think you know a lot of software providers will say like, well, we translate our software to uh, to Spanish, so you know we're, we're, we've got those markets covered. I think you, you know a vendor that really takes a look at you know what are the needs of a uh, either a bilingual or a Spanish-speaking uh, or a Hispanic-speaking uh, 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 company uh, only, you know, what do they need? What's the differences? And, you know, can you serve those customers? And if you're going to make the commitment as a vendor to serve those customers, then make the commitment, right? Don't go halfway and just say, yeah, I translated my software, so I'm, I'm good. I checked the box. Really get in, understand you know, what it is that they're dealing with um, and are they dealing with differences than, you know, English-only speaking uh, businesses or small businesses in the United States and make sure that you can you can serve them if you really want to uh, win the, the win over the loyalty of, of that segment of the market. What can you tell us about mobile tools and mobile devices in relation to these tools? So it is an absolute must that if you're, if, if you're a small business today, I don't know that anybody uh, that runs a business or works in a business or whatever that doesn't need the access to, uh, to connect with any of their systems from, from a mobile device or, 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 or an, from a mobility standpoint. So it's, 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 it's very, very important that as you're looking at um, as software uh, or, or platforms or et cetera, say, you know, okay, yes, I can use it in the office. Yes, I can use it in, um, uh, you know, on a, on a pad or can I use it on the phone? Can I use it anywhere, uh, et cetera? Now, 
that's in my in my uh, uh, thought process here. In my opinion, uh, Elena, that is table stakes. Now, you know, if I take a look at where where the industry is going and where we're going and where others are, are going, etc., the ability to interact with your software is changing dramatically. Um, and will change dramatically over the next three to five years. So if you think about the various generations that, that are out there, you've got the baby boomers, you've got millennials, you've got Gen Xs, Gen Ys, etc. You actually have another one that's coming up called Gen Z, right? So the youngest people in the gen, Generation Z are in the, in the middle school right now, and then the oldest people in Gen, C are, uh, gen Z are just you know, entering into the workforce. Now, if you think about that generation, they have completely um, grown up with interacting with technology completely different. 99% of them interact with it uh, with technology voice-based, right? So they're they're talking to technology. Not, most of those people don't use keyboards; they can only use their thumbs. Uh, that's how they've interacted uh, with, with software. Um, and so, you know, as as they get into the workforce and as we get more and more used to interacting with things differently, just think about. Your television now. Most of us talk to the television and say, I want to watch, you know, Wheel of Fortune or something like that, and it comes on. Um, you know, most of us uh, are used to now interacting in our car uh, with, uh, you know, for, through, through voice and through different ways of interacting. And so what you're going to see is this convergence of, you know, the three largest uh, connected devices we have in our life are our phones, our televisions, and our cars. And so, you know, when you think about how you and your business are going to be doing business in the next three to five years, you know, you should be able to interact with your software through your phone for sure, through your car for sure, through other devices like, uh, you know, Alexa, Google Home or whatever, all that's kind of connecting through your television. Um, those, are the, those are the types of things that... Um, you know, you need to look at now what is, you know, what is the software doing today, but can it have the ability to uh, to mature and evolve into, uh, you know, these types of interactions over the next three years? When you look at a Hispanic or Latino-specific market, what competencies should you look for in the CRM company? So I would say that, you know, it, it, does the CRM company um, truly understand the Hispanic, the Latino, the Spanish uh, market? And, you know, a lot of, a lot of times uh, a good indication of that is that are they, uh, are they in other countries outside of the U.S.? Are they in Latin America? Are they in uh, Spain? Um, you know, etc. Et Are they in other Spanish-speaking countries and and begin to understand and have a good understanding of of the culture and how things and how uh, those cultures interact with the software? It may be exactly the same as the way others interact with it, or it may be slightly different. So I think if you look at somebody that has a global nature um, and specifically a Latin American uh, type of uh, of uh, of uh, of, of presence, then I think they're, they're more well suited to be able to serve the uh, the Hispanic and Latino uh, population of, of the United States. 
So you should be looking for a company that has representatives from that community among their leadership and at their higher levels, correct? Yeah, definitely either at the, at the, at the leadership or the higher levels or inside of their product, inside of their, uh, you know, uh, development organizations, uh, marketing organizations, et cetera, so that they, they truly understand um, the, the market. What suggestions and tips would you share with our listeners who want to gain a better understanding of this issue? You know, do your homework, do your research, right? The, the, the Internet is a beautiful thing. <laughs> There's information out there all over the place. Go take a look at, um, you know, understanding are there, are there vendors uh, out there that – uh, are really focused on on your specific market, your specific segment, uh, and then once you understand those vendors, then do your research on those vendors. Go to their go to their websites, look at their social media, um, you know, understand what what else the, they're they're doing, uh, etc. If you do that, if you do your homework, uh, I think you'll be you'll be much uh, much better served than um, you know not doing your homework for sure. What resources would you suggest, say, books or websites, organizations, where they might get additional insights on these certifications, for example, that you talked about, or the compliance, the GDPR, the ISO, et cetera? Where can they learn more from, say, third-party unbiased sources and resources? I think the best place you can you can go, um, and I'm a little bit biased because I'm, I'm I'm part of the Colorado Technology Association here. But I think you need if you go to your local, um, either in your state or in your city or whatever, and look at what technology associations are 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 there and have ability. Those are the those are the ones that are going to serve you the best. Number one is they're they're local and so they're going to understand your local needs. Um, and the other thing is they're going to, they're going to, they're very very well connected and they're going to they're going to be able to, to help you uh, around uh, around these types of things. So my, what I would say is get online, do a search and say are there technology associations in my city, in my state, in my region that I can tap into. Uh, and get involved, get go there, uh, talk to them, because there's two things. One is the association itself is going to help you, but more importantly, you're then going to get inner, inner, uh, or networked or interacting with others that are dealing with the same issues that you're dealing with, um, and there's nothing like peer-to-peer networking that, that can really help you out. So it sounds like maybe you should get involved and dedicate some personal time to learning about this before you jump in. Is that right? I would absolutely, again, do your homework. Uh, you know, the investment up front is well worth it. Thank you, John, for joining us from Denver, Colorado. Thank you so much, Elena. It's been fun. Thanks. And to our audience, thank you for listening to John Oshel, who is CEO of SwiftPage, who discussed what to look for in a CRM for your small business. Please share your suggestions, questions, and ideas by leaving a comment on the HispanicNPR.com website. If you or someone you know would like to be on the show, you can email me directly at editor at HispanicNPR.com. 
That's editor at hispanicmpr.com.